Um, for those of you who don't know me, as James said, my name is Sarah. Um, I've been a member of this church for about four years, almost four years now, and I'm currently doing the form discipleship year uh, here at St. Barnabas. Woo! So formerly known as the internship. Um, if, I just wanted to say, like, first of all, like, if anyone here was like, a bit offended by how we do stuff, like, that's okay. You can come and talk to us and we're happy to chat. You know, that's fine. You know, just don't, like, it, it's okay. Um, but uh, I, I really love Jesus. <laughs> and um, it is my absolute privilege this evening to share some stuff about uh, what he said to you. Um, and, uh, and that's exciting. So we're going to be continuing on with our series, Jesus's, Jesus' Blueprint for Life. Is it Jesus? Jesus's. I feel like you, I, I should know that by now. Yeah, yeah, oh, thanks James, I appreciate it. It's interchangeable, apparently. Oh, also, another thing, if you're really offended, it's, um, the, if you want to write to James, it's james at stubs. <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding, no. Um, no. Uh, I mean, you can, but yeah. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> terrible intro, isn't it? Matthew 6, let's go to Matthew 6. Come on. Jesus' blueprint for life, Sermon on the Mount. Um, in the Red Bibles, it's number, it's page uh, 970. There's a little subtitle saying, giving to the needy. Which is fun, because we talked about giving last week, so it's almost like God's, you know, doing something. (laughs) All right, Matthew 6, verses 1 to 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. That's a fun passage to read after we've been, after all that commotion. Has anyone ever uh, bitten into a really disappointing apple? <laughs> you know the ones I'm talking about when they're like super nice on the outside and you're like, I'm so excited about this. And then you bite into it and it's just a bit rotten. Or maybe there's a worm or half a worm, which is worse. Gross, right? So I think it's a bit like that with us, okay? Often, we can appear to be normal and healthy on the outside. We're really good at the performance. We're really good at maybe in church life being holy or whatever. And then on the inside, in our hearts, maybe there's something there that's a bit rotten. In this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about three key actions um, that Jewish people in those days would have uh, considered to be standard religious obligations. Um, The first two are giving financially and prayer. 
Um, and then the, later on, he talks a bit about fasting, and I know we've got a cracking sermon coming up on that in a few weeks' time. Um, but uh, we, we actually covered a bit of giving last week, and uh, next week we're going to be going in a bit more depth on prayer. Um, but uh, essentially what I'm going to be talking about today is uh, Jesus' message kind of over all of those things, and that is um, motive. If and when such actions are done for an audience, they become a bit rotten like the disappointing apple. I mentioned a number of weeks ago um, that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus intensifies the law by internalizing it. He doesn't scrap the law. Notice that he says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. He's assuming that his audience are actually doing these things. But what he's, upping here, what he's doing here is he's upping the intensity of the practices by relocating them on the inside. And as he does this, I find that he's um, addressing two key issues here in our, in, our faith, in our faith journey. Number one is integrity, and the other one is intimacy. So he's addressing integrity, or perhaps real integrity, um, because it's not about what other people think. And he's addressing intimacy with the Father, because he knows that the Father has loved you since before the world began, and certainly since before you knew what love was. And as we're going to see, the two go hand in hand, integrity and intimacy. So, Jesus says, yes, give to people in need, pray regularly, fast. These are all disciplines that everyday Christians have been doing for about two millennia. Don't stop. (laughs) But who are you doing it for? You trying to impress other people? Or are you trying to impress God? Although, to be fair, you don't actually need to impress him. He already likes you. case you're wondering. But doing these things in secret is one of the best ways to ensure that we are really doing this for God's eyes only. Um, A guy called Tom Wright, he's a great biblical commentator, um, says this, all of the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, is centered on God himself, who easily gets squeezed out of religion if we're not careful. It's easy to forget about God and turn church life into a performance for others. And I think all of us struggle with this. You know, I think it's a particular struggle for those of us that might preach or lead worship or or, or serve God publicly in some capacity, but I think this is something that every single Christian struggles with. But when it comes to our giving and our prayer life and fasting, Jesus advocates secrecy. Why? First of all, secrecy helps cultivate pure motives. And that's because integrity is who you are when no one's looking. I'll say that again. Integrity is who we are when no one is looking. Sociologists and psychologists are now saying that um, Western culture has turned away from something, uh, from what they called a um, culture of character, and are now apparently we're pursuing a culture of personality. And essentially what that means, um, so the culture of character was when, um, when a culture emphasizes things like morals, honor, duty, good citizenship, hard work, and that key word, integrity. Um, But by contrast, um, the culture of personality that apparently we are now turning towards um, places paramount value on whether or not we're attractive, energetic, outgoing, and whether or not we match up to an extroverted ideal. 
It's argued that this results from the rise of capitalism, and I'm not going to get into politics now. <laughs> but um, apparently we're now drawn to more and more to loud people who can sell themselves rather than people who are more quiet or thoughtful, um, even though those people might sometimes have a, you know, a better uh, solution to a problem or might have a more measured approach to certain things, especially in the business world. So now I personally think that humanity's always had this issue where we look on the outside rather than the inside. Um, but the, the key point that um, a lot of sociologists are now making is that we've actually like, built a culture on it. So it's something that all people have struggled with, but now here in the West, we've now built a culture around you know, personality and what you look like on the outside. And I think that applies both offline and online, more so online probably. But I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> but apparently, this so-called salesperson mentality has led to a rising pressure on us to entertain and to focus on how people perceive us from the outside. And often, what happens then is our character can get uh, squashed or suppressed um, and uh, even compromised when we're not careful. And this, in my view, is very dangerous and can make us slaves to the approval of others. But, as we read, Jesus very much goes against the grain of this mentality and culture. He encourages us to focus on developing our internal character through intimacy with God in the secret place and through doing, you know, practicing righteousness uh, in secrecy. So I guess as Christians, it's kind of up to us to be somewhat countercultural in this regard. Our financial generosity does not need to involve other people and our prayer life is not for anyone else. It's just him. Now, I, I would like us to um, turn to the Old Testament, if that's all right, because I really like showing that there's continuity in the Bible. Um, so <laughs> I want to hear God's heart on this um, in the Old Testament as well. We're going to have a look at 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. We'll start with verse 1. So while you're looking there, a bit of context. Um, God's just rejected a guy. Sorry? Page 287, for those on the Red Bibles. Thank you, Elaine. Um, so God's just rejected Saul, the king of Israel, because of uh, disobedience and some character flaws. And um, now God is speaking to the prophet Samuel, and he's saying, um, he's talking about you know, anointing um, a new king over Israel. So it's quite a critical, a pivotal point in Israel's history. So, uh, 1 Samuel 16, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. And they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, who, by the way, is one of Jesse's sons. I think it specifies that earlier. Anyway, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Did you catch that? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, then Jesse calls Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen that one either. <laughs> Jesse then said, had Shammah pass by? And Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's out tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And on that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Did you catch that important bit in verse seven though? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. King David is one of my absolute favorite heroes in the Old Testament. Such a guy, what a guy. But he's remembered as being a man who was after God's own heart, all right? So God finds a posture of our hearts kind of important, yeah? So now actually, an interesting thing is that decades pass between that anointing scene that we just read and when um, David actually got crowned king, and that's because he had to go through this long testing period where God tested his character. Um, those who will know the stories will know that he was given opportunities to take shortcuts to becoming king, and he resisted them. And then he also um, developed an intimacy with the Lord in a secret place. And some of that we get a glimpse of in the Psalms, but I think there's so much more that we will never know about because that was his personal relationship with God. I highly recommend doing a character study on David, by the way, in your own devotions. It's, he's just amazing. Anyway, so first point, practicing righteousness in private is about integrity, moral character, and pure motive. But, and my second point, is that it's also about cultivating intimacy with the Lord. This is best developed in the secret place because nobody else can do that for you. The thing about being in relationship with God is the more of him you experience, the more you want. <laughs> but also, the more you seek him, the more you find. John Piper says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let's not forget that our access to God is ultimately what Jesus came to die for. That intimacy that we have access to, that actually cost him something. God so badly wanted us back and our sin so badly separated us from him that he came down to earth as a man so that he could, we could not just live with integrity but actually live in an intimate, loving relationship with him. And again, those two don't cancel each other out. They actually feed into each other. A little bit of my story. Um, so uh, those of you who don't know me, um, I actually lived in Australia for eight years um, during my middle and high school years. And um, I w was sort of raised in um, the kind of flashy mega church scene. So there'd be like thousands of people on a Sunday. Um, 
lots of flashy lights, smoke machines, very loud. Like, this is so tame by comparison. Um, so if you're freaked out by this, oh, you've got no idea. Um, but um, they had an enormous youth ministry program, um, which was very, very good, and uh, you know had many, many benefits. And I had some incredible God encounters there, um, which have definitely stayed with me for life. Um, but I've got these really clear memories of my youth leaders um, who, like, and I just remember, like, so idolizing them and looking up to them because they were like the perfect Christians in my eyes. And, you know, we were, we were proper Pentecostals, so they had their, the, the scrunched face and the hand in the air thing, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied because, you know, if you're not at a kind of church, if you can't speak in tongues, you're not a real Christian. Um, they gave lots of money to the church because obviously back then it was the basket and very, like, there wasn't online giving, so you could see you know, how much was, so it was a bit harder to do that in the secret place. Um, they obviously gave a lot of time to church activities. They led worship, preached, you name it, you get the picture. Uh, my youth leaders in that day were perfect Christians, in my view, on the outside. Um, and then our church hit a crisis point. Um, and actually, one of the key leaders got exposed for fraud. Um, and there were quite a few scandals that came out after that as well. It was sort of like this domino effect. And I, I don't really want to get into the messy details of that just because I don't think it's helpful. But essentially, a lot of people fell away from the church and a lot of people lost their faith. I had a lot of questions. Um, I wanted to know, like, was this... It was, it was a family of preachers that kind of led the church, and I wanted to know, like, was this some weird power trip for them, like, planting this church? Were they just after our money? Because obviously we gave a lot of money. Was, you know, was I just swept off my feet by mass hysteria? Um, I was 15 at this point when that happened. It was a very impressionable age. And thankfully, um, over time, Jesus managed to sort through a lot of these questions with me. Um, but sadly, a lot of those youth leaders that I looked up to are now not walking with the Lord. Um, I caught up with one recently. Um, a bunch of them are now taking hardcore drugs um, sleeping around, they're living very different lives to the ones that I looked up to all those years ago. Um, now, I'm not saying that to make us all feel sad, and I, I'm definitely not saying that God can't draw them back to himself. I'm, I'm sure he, you know, I mean, that's definitely his heart. Um, but it has taught me a really important lesson that being publicly good at Christianity counts for very little. The outward appearance thing there's no point, really, in pursuing it, because it doesn't last. <laughs> There's very little longevity in it. During that time of questioning, one of the big things that I had to like, wrestle with was, is my faith really in Jesus, or was my faith on some charismatic preacher? Because I think if one's primary focus is on your relationship with the Lord, then the flaws of your church leaders isn't actually going to shake you that much. Because... I mean, I love our church leaders. James and Anne are amazing. They've got flaws, though. <laughs> They're people. I don't mean that in a, you know, like, I, I don't mean that in a, <laughs> in a rude way. Sorry, James and Anne. But, like, no, but, but you know, the humans, we're, we're, we're part of fallen humanity. They're going to have struggles that we don't know about. That doesn't shake me. That doesn't offend me. They might get it wrong sometimes. That's okay. Because that's not where my faith is in. My faith is in Jesus. God is after a very private intimacy with you. And no one else can do it for you. 
all right? No flashy preacher, no vicar, no pastor, no worship leader. No one can cultivate your own personal intimacy with Jesus. That's just between you and him. If your primary concern is what other people think of you, Jesus says this, that's all you're gonna get. (laughs) Their admiration is the best you'll get. That's the only reward you'll get. And trust me, it's nothing. (laughs) People's opinions actually really aren't worth that much in the grand scheme of things. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The approval of others isn't gonna satisfy us, guys, I promise. (laughs) In fact, it can actually entrap you. The approval of God is literally the only thing that has enough power to quench a thirsty soul. And guess what? You've already got it. Whether you know it or not, you've got it. He approves of you already. Before you ever achieved anything, he made you in his image. We were telling the kids and be kids this morning, like, God chose you before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? That's in Ephesians 1. And he desires relationship with you. When I was preparing this sermon, I was just sort of talking it through with, with a friend, um, and, uh, and he was telling me he'd actually heard like, a sermon on this passage a couple of weeks ago in another church, so I'm going to steal a bit from a sermon I've heard secondhand. <laughs> I'm stealing a little analogy, um, but um, I feel like if I if I if I say that, that it's okay. It's not plagiarism. <laughs> um, but essentially, um, if you're if you're seeking the approval of others, it's like drawing water from a puddle. But if you're seeking approval from God, well, if your if your if your sense of worth and approval comes from God, you're drawing water from a deep well. So the puddle is shallow. There's no longevity in it, it's not sustainable, it's not gonna satisfy you. When when you're you're drawing water from a deep well, that's long-lasting, it's deep, obviously, and it's eternally sustainable, and it's always there. The approval of others is never gonna satisfy, but you've already got the approval of God. I'm going to shut up now because we're going to talk to God. Can we all stand?